0: Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coghlan, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. My name is Warren Coughlin. I'm your host. And, you know, when we talk about making the world a better place, we often think about the world outside the business. But one of the challenges we see all around us is the challenge of trust. And because of all kinds of experiences, either ones we've endured personally or that have been shared with us from friends or through social media, many don't trust the businesses they deal with unless they have deep personal relationships. So rebuilding trust in the economy and in business is key to building trust in all our institutions. And today's guest is on the front lines of this kind of thinking. Garav Bhattacharya is the CEO of Involve.ai and they are on a mission to make businesses more customer centric. And we wanna talk about what that means. Now, through an AI platform that you can describe way better than me, Involve.ai predicts customer churn and expansion opportunities. And it it helps you, as I understand it, to identify any sources of displeasure, allowing you to intervene and rebuild that relationship of trust with your customers. And he's recently announced a very exciting development for the business with a big Series A financing that I'm sure some of you will want to hear about. That's always an adventure. So, Gaurav, welcome and thanks for joining us on the Spotlight. Thank you, Warren. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Well, thanks so much. And now being a real underachiever, as I understand you are, you studied software engineering at Harvard, At Harvard, and you've done aerospace engineering at California State. You've been the CEO of a previous incarnation of this business. So before we hear about Involve, let's hear about you. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Did you have that sort of technical side first? Tell us a little about you know your story, <laughs> your origins. Uh, d-
1: definitely the technical side, Warren. L- let me give you a quick story about me. I grew up in New Delhi um, when I was two years old. I lost my dad to cancer. Oh. Uh, blue-collar parents, my mother uh, worked really hard to give me and my brother a good education. We grew up very poor in a very in the suburbs of New Delhi. Um, but got, I, I got lucky. I, me and my brother, we, we wanted to work and provide for the family. So we started doing a lot of different jobs. And one such job, which started with selling pens on the streets, it, it took us to coding and we got really excited. Wait, well, hang uh, we,
0: How does selling pens on the street take you to coding? You can't just skate by that one.
1: Yeah, uh, let me let me tell you the story. So when we were doing that, Microsoft in India was a big company and they were trying to uh, get the grassroots level in and try to capture the world economics. And India was a big center for them. Um, some of Microsoft's engineers saw us one day and asked us if we went to school um, and we told them that, no, we don't. And and and. They had this program that they were starting. They recruited us, where they would teach kids, underprivileged kids, English, and some of the engineers would also teach them coding, and that's how we got introduced to the world of computers and programming, just wow. by just by pure luck. Um, But what you know, a great we, experience! Wow, it was an amazing experience. It it was a corporate social responsibility program. We got some scholarships and. My brother was older to me. He's seven years older, so he started learning how to code, and and somehow he convinced me that this is the future uh, that everyone is should invest in. And I started learning coding at ten, just got into it. I just loved it. I did C plus plus, built my first video game at twelve years old, and never never looked back. So that well, that's what, what kind of what kind of video game was it? Yeah, I did a lot of first person shooting games. <laughs> at this um, at that at time was like. Yeah, twelve. <laughs> I know oh. it d- doesn't sound fun, but um, there was this game called Counter Strike. Um, yeah. it's it's like Call of Duty, but that was like the Counter Strike used to be a popular uh, LAN video game. We would everybody would sit down in computer. So I was much younger, but I would see teenagers play that game. Um, and what I did was I would I would make maps and scenarios and different different pieces of it, so you could augment the game. That's that's how I started. Um, um and and the second game I worked on was chess was a space chess I called it. <laughs> those were some of the fun games that I worked on. Now, out
0: of curiosity, have you ever connected back with those people from Microsoft who recruited you in the first place? Did, like
1: did they know about your success since then? Absolutely. I'm in I'm in touch with some of those engineers. One engineer even was an angel investor in the company we started.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a great story. He, is it a, he, he or she? It's a, he, yep. Yeah, is he, is he, he must feel like really good about the
1: impact he was able to have. Yeah. You know, all the people at Microsoft feel really good. Uh, the only person who doesn't feel good and I'll talk about it, it, it is my mom. Cause she, she always wanted me to get a job and, and <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so going, going back again, um, when i was 15 years old i joined high school it's 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 a great high school and i met my co-founder samya she's a rockstar programmer this is our second company together but we go way back we met in high school um and believe it or not we were fighting for the front desk in a coding class that's how we met and in hindsight didn't make either of us cool but but we became friends and <laughs> and that's kind of when we decided that we want to be entrepreneurs she's she's the entrepreneurial one um her parents are doctors they own their own clinics um and she had this idea that she was solving around patient experience. How do you improve the customer experience around patients at hospitals and clinics? And I jumped into it. I was her. I was her first programmer. But eventually, that's the first company we started. And and gave gave our parents a heart attack when we decided to skip college, which is not cool if you're Indian or if you're Asian. That's that uh, you gotta go to school. You have to either become an engineer or a doctor. So we chose the entrepreneurial path, and that's kind of where our entrepreneurship journey began.
0: Now your mom must be proud that you wound up going to Harvard.
1: I, I actually didn't complete Harvard. Um, so oh, okay. I did do yeah, I did do school. My brother went to Harvard. Um, very proud of that. Um, I did start there, but then I decided to start my second company. <laughs> <laughs> now, your your lot,
0: no, so so when did you
1: make the move from Delhi to like you're in California now, right? I am. So we ran that first company, Warren, for about five years. Um, a lot lot of ups and downs, but eventually we had the opportunity to sell the company. We grew from almost zero to 80 people. We had about 5,000 hospitals that we were serving, and a hospital chain acquired us. Once we sold our company, made a good amount of money. and you know That was a great experience. I, Me and my co-founder always joke, I bought a house from my mom. She bought a lot of shoes, both, both great investments. Uh, but that's when I started working for a company called PwC, Price Waterhouse Coopers. One of my mentors was was working there. He recruited me, um, and this was a good opportunity for me to take a break from crying every day and running startups, which is not easy at all, especially when you're when you're so young, uh, to being at a job. And they moved me out here. I moved to New York. I worked with them um, in the New Jersey office, and that was my exposure to coming to the U.S.
0: And what was your role with them?
1: Yeah, I was I was doing some tech consulting with them, so mostly a lot of programming QA, and I was a team lead that managed um, some developers. One of the things that we were trying to do is do get PwC was trying to get into tech consulting, and and that's what um, their core focus is finance, but they wanted to compete with other the top 4 firms like Accenture, Deloitte that have huge tech consulting arms and right. multiple billion in billions in revenue and that was kind of the team that they were so it was almost like a startup inside a big company and so when did you make
0: the transition from that being an employee at a tech consulting firm to jumping back again into entrepreneurship
1: yeah that's a, that's a fun story too so Foreign, I I was doing that. Really, really happy with it. No complaints. The only thing was I was a bit bored. the The big company life is a little bit different than being in a fast paced startup. A little. Um, bit. My co yeah, <laughs> my co founder Samia, she did her bachelors in computer science in New Delhi, and then she moved to uh, do her masters in computer science at UC Santa Cruz. So she was there, and she had a job offer from Google. Just randomly, one day she called me. She said, hey, I know you're here. Like, Why don't we meet up? I want to review my job offer with them. Um, that's kind of how we met. And I had this serious formal warrant. I I was like, I, I can't let her go work for Google. We should start another company. And that's kind of what we did. You know, I, I was able to convince her that this really cool idea, which I didn't, I had, I had no ideas. Um, but we, I was able to convince her that we should work together on a, another project. One of the things that... Both me and Samia, my co-founder, are passionate about And we were able to recruit some of our earlier members who had worked with us as our core team. We were really passionate about giving back to the community. So we built this employee volunteering platform, uh, which we called InvolveSoft, which you you must have seen online. Mm -hmm. But it started with the mission that we can connect people. We can have really smart people from every company go and work together and collaborate on projects that can help nonprofits um, have, have a bigger impact to technology. That's what we started. Um, and we had a lot of success. We had almost 450,000 users. More and although the challenge for us was, churn was a big issue for us. We would get engaged users come, do a few events, and then never log into the system. So we were trying right. to fo- follow and solve this problem of you know, customer disengagement, how do we get them back how do we keep them excited how can we improve the customer experience that they don't they never leave us but instead of churning they expand with us and being engineers we kind of hacked a system together where we took a lot of customer data which was right every every company has a lot of information they have phone calls, they have emails, support tickets that customers leave, how they interact with the platform, if it's a software product, how are they looking at your app, your site, what features are they using, how are they doing some of your not-star metrics. We started measuring that to be able to understand user behavior and then we, we would put it through Python scripts to just predict next quarter, how many users will leave, which users are disengaged, which users can churn, which users can expand. And that was just amazing for us. And when COVID hit in 2020, I, we felt like every company needs to hold on to their customers because getting right. new logos and new customers became so challenging, especially for uh, for subscription businesses. We just felt there's a need for this. So we started giving it away for free to some of our portfolio companies from our VCs, that the first VCs who backed us. And they saw Im- immediate impact. People were able to get a pulse of their customers. They were able to improve customer experience, reduce churn by almost 16%. Wow. And that was our aha moment. We, were, we, we had this kind of feeling that we, we're onto something and we should pivot and and go in this direction. So almost like Slack, how Slack was a gaming company for about five years and they weren't successful and they were using this collaboration tool internally to talk to each other. And then they pivoted. That's exactly our journey. So a lot of hardship, four years we tried and failed. And then we found something truly magical, something that we had built internally.
0: Now you had so you had some VCs already, is that right? We
1: did, we had some VCs
0: already, that is correct. Now, a lot of people listening probably haven't been in the VC game yet. Um how how did they respond to that transition and that pivot? Like was that a tough negotiation or did they embrace it right away?
1: Yeah, <laughs> Warren it was a very very tough call, I would say. Um I think it was more ha- about having imposter syndrome and being doubtful of myself than how the VCs took. So in reality, I had all these feelings about, I'm gonna pick up the phone, call everybody, and they're gonna think way less of me than they originally thought. They're gonna think that I let them down, I took their hard earned money or or through whatever channels they've earned that money to invest in companies, and I'm really making a big mistake. And they made a big mistake betting on me. That's how I went going in, especially being an immigrant and and. Um, uh, uh, coming from the background, I come, I have so much imposter syndrome. I just have this really fun story. I called my lead investor. His name is Mark Wallen. Mullen, Big shout out shout out to him. He started Bonfire Ventures, true entrepreneur. I called him one day and I said, hey, Mark, um, this is what's going on in the business. We're not performing so well. We have this second product, but we don't really know if it's going to work or not. So have some money left, I can either return capital to you or keep trying, what should I do? Um, and either ways, I'm I, you know, i sorry to let you down. And he just started laughing and he said, Gaurav, this happens, You know, businesses are hard. I backed you, I didn't back the company or the idea that you have. Go and do, take the money, whatever you have left and try your best and, and let's see if I can help you out. And he's kind of understood the product we we're building on, made a few key introductions for us. One top engineer we were looking to recruit, he, he introduced me to someone he introduced me to the first two customers we had, and and the rest is history. So I feel, I feel I had really supportive investors who believed in me instead of believing in the idea that I had. Um, it was just my own imposter syndrome that kind of created all these scenarios. That what have right. I done here?
0: So you've got it. I mean, your story is really interesting as an example of how just someone can make a big difference in someone else's life those folks from Microsoft and now this investor, if any one of those people had taken a different decision, your life would be in a different place, wouldn't it?
1: I think so. I am i am very grateful. I was talking about Mark Mullen. He's been a true mentor to me. He's not only a board member, uh, but I, but I um, and when we were doing this this fundraising, Warren, we worked so hard to find this uh, this second partner who's going to join our board. We wanted to make sure that we can find someone who's, Mark Mullin's caliber and can be a partner like that. I hear all these horror stories about boards being terrible. S- Steve Jobs' board let him go. If if you kind of call that story at Apple, yes, I do. Um, but I'm just so incredibly lucky, and and I'll I'll, I'll share a fun another fun story. Mark and I have this kind of spreadsheet um, where where I'm a little bit overweight, so he wants me to lose weight, and he he has this accountability spreadsheet of if I'm walking, if my you know, blood pressure is on target. If I'm losing the weight that I want to do every week, so he can keep me accountable. It just goes beyond running a company. It's a personal wow. relationship, and and that's kind of and that's what I would encourage all the entrepreneurs and business leaders to find investors who can not only be um, good people with money, but also people who are smart, savvy, who understand businesses, and who can support you in good times and bad times. Now. I just
0: want to talk one little one additional piece about you. Like you're the last incarnation of this business was, as you said, sort of a community platform, bringing that employees right. closer together and making an impact in community. Involved that AI now is about connecting companies more closely to their customers. So there seems to be some theme in here about using technology to make human relationships stronger. Do I do I read that right?
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. I uh, you you read it perfectly, Warren. One of my core philosophies are. Um, My personal values are connecting people and having impact in the community. That's what I stand for. So everything that we do is about how do we connect people together? How do we bring people? Because we feel that everything's about humans anyways. I know we talk a lot about AI and the machine coming here, but even that augments human relationships with social media. You know, now I can talk to my mom on WhatsApp every day. She's in India. It's just all these things are just all about connecting people together from different parts of the world, sharing experiences with each other. And I'm just such a big fan of that. I feel that. And I why is have, that? Why does that matter to you so much? Um, it goes back to Warren. It goes back to um, when I was really young. I, I wouldn't be here. I think you, you pointed this out. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the people that I found in during the way who helped me out, who shared their life experiences with me, who taught me, coached me, mentored me. And I got so much to learn from them just by watching them by their stories and them being in my life that I wanted to kind of replicate that for others. So everything I do is all about how do we connect people and how can we have impact at scale? So those are the core teams that I would l- I like to follow and hopefully can continue following in all the startups I do or all the companies I work with.
0: So let's transition from that then, because that's a good, that's a good jump-off point for about involve.ai. So, and just so we don't get too jargony at the beginning, just define what you mean by customer-centric and then what, what Involve actually does to accomplish that.
1: Yeah, excellent ideas. W- one thing that we saw, Warren, was. Um, when we work with businesses, every company has this core philosophy of being customer obsessed or customer-centric. It's part of their core values, it's in their mission statement. People, the founders or the CEO and the board preaches it, and that's what it is. As the company scales, it becomes very it, it becomes not customer-centric, but it becomes either profit-centered or it's about getting the maximum revenue or it's about sales. And what we wanted to do was use technology to be able to help leaders and employees transform their companies into customer-centric organizations, again, where they started with. And, and we wanted to do it in a way that we can empower everyone in the company, specifically the post-sales team, which is either customer success, customer service, customer experience teams, to have these tools to be able to understand their customers, get in front of them when issues happen, improve, have tons of opportunities to improve customer experience, is either by customers, so either by one company or one consumer at a time, or do it at scale with strategic impact. So, what we wanted to build is we wanted to take this data. So, let's say um, one of the companies we work with is SEM Rush. They just went public this year. Very wonderful platform. They have about six, seven core platforms. They have so much data inside their company about their customers on which features are they using, what issues have happened in the past. Now, what if AI could take all that data that you have historically over the past seven years and come up and tell a story with that data about what are the best opportunities for you to improve customer experience? What are the top three initiatives that you can do that can drive much better customer satisfaction, improving churn reduction, and improving expansion revenue where your customers not only stay with you, but they buy more from you? And you can do these today at low cost. That's what our data does is looking back at a company and their own data and helping leaders take data driven decisions, ultimately with the vision being, can you become more customer centric as a company?
0: So without going too into the, you know, into the weeds of the of the tech, what is it, how does it do it? Like what does it, what does it act like how does that data get acquired? And is this, is this only for B2B or does it work on a for B2C clients as well?
1: It works on both. So the core is it. We work with subscription companies. That's our core focus. So it's so tech technology
0: companies. based subscription company.
1: Um, it can be technology based. We do work with companies that sell construction equipment or manufacturing plants. It doesn't have to be tech, but it has to be a subscription business model where 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 you're not just making one time purchases, but the customer or the consumer has to be with you for some time. So there's an opportunity to switch. To, to, as an example, if I'm on Netflix then there's an opportunity for me to cancel the Netflix subscription, go to HBO Max or do something different, or that that's the business model that we follow. And we feel our bigger thesis is that the whole world is going towards the subscription economy. There's about 23% businesses in the world that have subscription business model, uh, but that's growing 12% CAGR, so 12% year over year. And wow. we feel now you see more and more companies have subscri- subscription businesses, right? Like I have a subscription toothpaste, I have a subscription... I think Dollar Shave Club, razors, yeah, these. razors, yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, subscription cards. I think that's kind of what what the what the future is, and and even the iPhone for the past fifteen years is on a subscription for the for two years. So um, I think the question you were asking is, what exactly does it do? How do we get this data, and yes. how can we make it actionable? So we build these mechanisms, Warren, which can capture the data and unify it together. So we do a lot of cool things, like we used machine learning. To be able to simplify and associate data with an account so as an example one of our customers is mz um they have they 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 do something very amazing they're at emsi.com but they power the world's education they power a lot of a lot of different things um, um, about compensation and pay and and equality at the workplace so let's say if they have customers we're able to go and look at their customer names from different platforms like let's say Email and support forums and CRM systems and club that data together. That's something called fuzzy algorithms, which means that let's say if I get an email from you, Warren, it's going to associate that with this podcast and make sure it puts it in a central database automatically without a human actually putting it together. Now, Hmm. once we have clean data, we can use machine learning to run correlations in the past. So, since we have a history of all the customers who were unhappy at some point, we can look at their behaviors like, how they used the product, what support tickets did they have to understand what were some of the key indicators for an unhappy customer. We can do the same thing for happy accounts and happy customers by looking at everything that they were doing prior to them being really happy or buying more software from you as an example. Once we do that, we can now apply those trends in real time and monitor this in real time and help the agent or the customer service rep understand in real time that, hey, this customer is showing the same behavior of disengagement. They, have, they haven't they have logged in for about two weeks. Uh, their support tickets are high. They have uns- unsolved support issues. Let's get in front of them and help them with this playbook, which is also an in- intelligent playbook that's generated. That's, that's what we do. So that's the nitty gritties of it. And the only thing AI does is it can just do a lot of data crunching very fast. Everything right. else can be done manually by people who are smart, who have been there for a long time. We're just trying to take that and and um, defragment this knowledge. At, at so company.
0: what kind of results is this generating for clients?
1: It's amazing. I think I'm just so excited. Some of the customers we have, they've reduced churn, I was saying, by about 16%. There's a lot of expansion revenue, 12% expansion that we see within the first six months of a company being with us. But the best result is this customer satisfaction. They do a lot of these qualitative surveys and and one customer was telling us that they call this consumer or they call this one of their their top customers. And the person said, you know, she was so excited. She said, you knew about my problems before I even told you. And that just caught me by surprise. I've never seen that happen before. This is the best experience I've ever gotten. And that's kind of what we strive for. We really feel there's an opportunity to make data-driven proactive decisions in customer service and that's what we want to do here. That's fantastic. Now, do you see,
0: so you've talked about how your business is very values driven, you know, you've got personal values that inform it, and then you're trying to make a difference. Do you see, do you see any compromise between that desire to be values driven in the way you do your business? Actually, actually, before I go, before I go there, actually, what does, what does, the client experience, what's the client experience like with involved AI? Like apart from the product, why do people like dealing with the business itself?
1: It's it's very hands-on, Warren. the, the best example I can give you is you just in when you work with involved.ai, you just don't work with um, sales reps as an example or customer service reps. You our engineers are frontline managers, they're all in front of customers. They're talking Mm -hmm. to them, you know, we coach them on communication skills because we want customers to really engage with the data scientists and the machine learning engineers and the AI engineers that we have so that they can learn from them. But at the same time, our engineers can learn from our customers and help them out in the best way possible. This is a philosophy that we took from Amazon. Amazon has this business unit called AWS. It's one of their biggest business units now, the Amazon Web Services that has about 15 billion in annual recurring revenue some one of the fastest growing businesses inside Amazon with about a 80% gross margins but they have this concept of solutions architect that they created which is real engineers who are frontline managers who can also help customers similar to apple care you have people who are technicians who are, who are trained to give a good experience talk to customers that's what we follow. When you go to an Apple store, there's smart kids who understand everything, who are being trained, who are personable, but can also help you solve your problems. And that's the biggest thing that we do in our company is we are very product obsessed. Our sales reps to our customer service and experience teams to our engineers. Everyone understands the nitty gritties of how our platform works. And how it helps our customers. And we are on the front lines talking to our customers every day. That's, that's the experience you would expect, which would be different than some of the other software companies that you get to work with so that's that's pretty cool and it
0: and it does require i imagine on your part an extra investment in the development of your team because it's not just getting people on technical skills developing their technical abilities but then it's adding to it this customer relations piece so does that there's an extra resource commitment to that in some way so do you see that does that negatively affect profitability to have that kind of commitment to the customer experience? Or do you think it serves profitability by doing that?
1: Yeah, uh, Warren, I think it, it it negatively affects profitability in the short term. But our bet is that in the long term, it improves the lifetime value of a customer. So our right. our hope is that we don't have huge gross margins because of it, which doesn't look good in board meetings that we have. But although our lifetime value is really high. And that's, that's what hope we can do. Hopefully, we have customers for life and we can make up for this this money um i think that's such
0: a great perspective like too too many you know even people like me who are in the coaching consulting business sometimes like drive customer you know their clients or businesses to squeeze every ounce of profitability out of every transaction but i've always felt that's a fairly short-term you know view of things whereas what you're doing is investing in long-term relationships
1: Absolutely. That that's that's my philosophy too. And and Warren sounds like you do the same thing with your coaching and consulting business, right?
0: Yeah, because I mean, lifetime value is a is a it's an underused metric in small businesses, I think. But it's really a it's an important one. Now, you've also had a fairly interesting development. I mean, imagine COVID has created some interesting challenges for people trying to remain customer centric, but hasn't slowed you down. You've, what, quadrupled your team this year and you just closed a $16 million Series A. Um, Now, a lot of our listeners won't have gone through that experience a bit. Can you share a bit about how that came to be? And in particular, my my understanding, having spoken to a bunch of people who have done this, is that... You know, those kinds of financings aren't always rainbows and candy. So was it a was it a tough process? And how is that presence of those kinds of investors expecting a return affected your strategy going forward? So I know I asked a few things within there, but have a go.
1: Yeah, let's do it, Warren. Um, here's what I would say. So going into this 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 round, I'll, I'll give you a story of like of the hardships that, that we have faced in 2020. I remember you were almost running out of money. And, I, and we weren't doing so well. Although I decided that the best way to stay in business and, and keep our people employed would be to go out and, and do a fundraise. I was on the road when COVID hit, everybody was advising stay home. In March, I remember I was in San Francisco pitching as many people as I can, anybody who would meet with me, anyone who is a real estate investor, to a rich person, to a VC, to an angel investor, Anyone who would meet and who said COVID is is uh, is uh, is something that is not real and didn't believe in it or had a small time hard time accepting it, I was there meeting them. <laughs> I was there pitching them, and I I went to almost two hundred pitches, and wow. nobody invested nobody invested in us. And over what period had, of time? Almost for three months. I was out January, February, March until mid April when my mom called me one day and said, "You got to go home and lock your door. Like this, you can't be risking your life." I, I remember that. Um, so that's kind of how sometimes hard it can be. I think it's a lot of situational. It could be based on luck on how your business is doing. And there's a there's an amount of grit that you need because you you need to go through that those experiences. This was the complete opposite. Warren, our our company's been doing really well. Um, we've been growing forty percent month over month. So we had the right metrics, and we built this really strong team together. That we've been the core team has been together for so many years now because we've been experimenting, trying different things. And we worked so well with each other that that we I just knew that whatever we were doing we could be you know we could be just selling popcorn or we could be spe- selling ice to snowmen here but I feel like we would be successful doing whatever we were doing just because the team we built is so good. Um, so this time around, VCs were coming to us, um, and we had the opportunity to choose uh, this time. It was just just the complete opposite from from last year. And this is how life flows, right, Warren? Like there's. Up days and bad days, and it, it keeps flowing. No one at the top remains yeah. at the top. No one at the bottom remains at the bottom. That's kind of what happened with us. Uh, we found this amazing partner. Her name is Kathy Gao. She's she's the youngest partner in Sapphire Ventures. Sapphire Ventures is almost an $8 billion fund. they have backed companies like Snowflake, Pendo, um, Monday.com, some of the companies oh, yeah. that recently went public. Excellent platforms, and they've created these companies of consequences, they call it. And we were just so lucky that we found an amazing partner who's also an, an immigrant, shares the same values as us. And we just instantly connected. So we were able to uh, work with her. And both of us just felt that this was the right opportunity and the time to partner together. Just now, because can, you, can you talk about that for a second? Because
0: I, I know there's there's the perception of VCs as being vulture capitalists and all they care about is the money. So when you hear about a a VC or a fund who shares your values, what, is the, what
1: does that mean? How does that show up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. I feel that most VCs are, are good people. Um, and, and they're, they are doing a job. Yeah, they're doing a job and their job is to make the people who invest in their fund a lot of money. So a lot of the VCs are not investing their own capital. They're investing out of a fund that is, that could, that fund could belong to, um, tax money that could belong to nonprofits that also a lot of time belongs to universities who give, who empower these VCs to say, we trust you with our money, go make us more money so we can make this world a better place. So a lot of times Stanford, Harvard, all these big universities, small community colleges, they they also invest money that they're getting from their fees because they can imp- improve the infrastructure. So in a way if VCs are hard on you and they want big big returns on investments, they're doing their job, and their job is to make sure that their share shareholders and their LPs make a lot of money. In this time frame, there's two kind of investors I've worked with. One can be just savvy investors who just know the best trends and and who can help help find the best companies and get involved at the right time. Then there's other side of VCs who are partners or who operators who've been CEOs before or who've been operators at at companies and tech companies that really understand what it takes running to run a business. And they're very empathetic because they've had to fire people. They've had to cut their losses. They've had to make really hard decisions. And those are the people I love working with. And that's that's Kathy Gao for us. She was a senior operator at Gusto, uh, one of the youngest partners. Immigrants has been through everything that we have been through as founders, that I've been through as founders, that we just instantly connected with her. And as soon as I met her, I knew, kind of knew that, you know, I don't know if she wants to invest in us, but we'd love the opportunity to work with her because she would be a true partner. Um, just yesterday, we had to um, uh, let someone go, and it was a really hard decision for me. And I called her and I said, "Hey, we're going to let this rock star person that we just a month ago we were so excited about someone and said it's going to be this person is going to be great for us." It didn't work out. It was just not a good mutual fit, and I had to make that hard call. And she completely understood it, right? She understands that in in a company you have to make a lot of hard decisions, uh, yes, and that's that's the partner you should look for, in in my opinion. Nice.
0: Now, in terms of the the other piece, does the does the presence of investors, even though they they have similar values, but as you say, their their responsibility is to extract a return for the, you know, people who have invested in their funds, does that does that affect your strategy? Like you talked earlier about how your your view is on lifetime value, which is a long-term profit strategy. Does the does the need for return for the VC impact that strategic thinking in any way or do they buy in fully?
1: It's actually perfect, Warren. VCs are the, and it's it's contrary beliefs, but VCs only make their money if they get moonshots, they call it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's true. The, the way that their business model works is um, there's going to be some companies that are going to, let's say they invest in a hundred companies. Out of a hundred companies, about 80 companies are going to die for whatever reason in the next 10 years. That's how life works. The ten companies are gonna return capital, which is the exact money they invested. They're gonna get back. Five companies are gonna get get them a ten x return, and there might be five companies or two or three companies that can give them a hundred or a thousand x return. As an example, one of our really good friends and investors, Mucker Capital, I think they, they and this is public information, they invested three million dollars in a company called Honey that got acquired by PayPal. Amazing founders for four billion dollars and they made 300 million out of it. This, this is an example, that's the Canada economics at scale. Those are the companies that return capital to them. Right. VCs actually love that you are going for the long game and that you wanna build a company of consequence in a generational brand. VCs would love to wait 10 or 20 years for you to become Nike or Uber or Airbnb or become some really massive company Then you trying to maximize profits. But there's other kinds of investors too. There's banks, There's private equity investors. There's also angel investors. And everyone's fund cycle is different. So their expectations are different. Um, and and that's how that's how the market market works.
0: So you haven't found it's constrained your strategic thinking as the CEO. Not
1: at all. Not not at this point.
0: Now, so one, one last topic I want to cover with you. So when I when I hear about your product and then your mission, I'm struck by the possibility, now it sounds like the way you've recruited may have addressed this, but there's the possibility of some cultural tension in the business, right? Like on the one hand, it sounds like you've had some, you've got to have some really techie folks who are into the ones and zeros and the intellectual challenges of AI. And on the other hand, you have this very human mission of enhancing relationships, which does require, you know, empathy and emotional intelligence and that kind of thing. So does such a tension exist? And if so, how do you, how do you go about reconciling it as the leader?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it's an excellent question, Warren. There's always a healthy balance of what are we doing, and I think the core value is what are we building and why are we building it. The why is the most important. So we have we call it vision, mission, and values. Our vision is to make the world customer centric. So everything goes back to that vision. Are we are we taking this decision? Are we hiring the right person? Are we are we launching the right feature? If there's a battle, like. The, the, the battle is usually won. Look, my idea is making the world more customer-centric, whereas your idea is only proving that we should use A platform versus B platform, which is meaningless. So we always go back to the vision and that's how people inside the company solve arguments if they have with each other. Then we have a mission and our mission is to be data, data-driven. data Our mission is to organize the company's data to be able to predict churn and that's where the data comes in. We want to augment the people we help solve this problem for. We don't want to take jobs away from them. We want to make sure that these help desk reps, the customer service, the CSM teams, account managers have the tools necessary to have the best conversations and they can focus on the day-to-day on firefighting, on talking to the best customers, upselling, improving customer experience, and not necessarily looking at the data and trying to figure out what's going on here. So that's where we come in. and, And I think the empathy is all about who are we creating the platform for and what is the our big vision that we want to solve for? And whatever decisions we have to make internally, do those decisions align with this mission? If it doesn't, then we move past it and we don't let EO, ego come in our way. And And that's kind of, you know, we hire for that too. We look for people who have growth mindset, who are collaborative, who are very team players, and we interview for those cultural values in the beginning. So our goal is to make sure, you know, uh, we, we may bet on a talent that's not as educated or experienced, but we'd love to hire culture fits in the company.
0: I'm so glad you said that. It's funny, I was dealing with a client yesterday and, you know, we were taught we're doing their vision, mission, values work and, you know, and purpose and impact. And so many, so many businesses think those are like posters that hang on the wall that you forget about but entrepreneurs like you that i talk to who are succeeding in this it's they embrace that and it's really it's so foundational behind their strategy so I'm i'm hoping that people listening to this will take it seriously because sometimes when you hear vision mission values eyes glaze over and think it's very kumbaya but it's so it's so informative of your overall strategy and how you build the team that's ultimately going to deliver the service to your customers isn't it
1: absolutely i think that's what every company is supposed to do is their group of people they come together to make a product or a service for a group of customers so those are the core philosophies you need to understand why are you doing what you're doing and that's kind of where you said the vision mission values come in at the same time you have to be customer centric because you're at the end of the day you started the company to serve someone and and just have a good product or service i think those are the three fundamental things you need to have in any business and yeah. and and sometimes you forget that, right? And so, what's
0: next for Involve? You just got so you got sixteen million dollars. What's the what's the big thing coming out of? Well, you know, we don't know whether we're coming out of COVID or going into another round of it. You no, know, where 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 are you headed with uh, with Involve now? What's next?
1: We're we're a hundred percent remote team, and we're hiring. Uh, we grew from almost four months ago to six to sixteen to thirty to forty now, and I think our goal is to get to hundred. Um, by February next year. So growing really fast. So hiring for engineers, sales reps, for BDR, business development teams, customer service teams across the board. So if there's good talent listening to this podcast, please apply to Involve.ai Careers. Sorry, that's a shameless plug, but... No, it's 100%. a good one. It sounds like a great company to work for. Yeah, and 100% remote. Uh, we've always been remote. We we, uh, we work on Zoom meetings. <laughs> that That's where we live Every day, that's kind of how how our world works. Yeah, um, that's the biggest thing, and I think just building the foundations of scale. One of our vision, big vision, is to be able to create a million jobs for people over the next few decades of the companies. There, this build a generational brand. We we also want to build a Bank of America or, or or you know, it's something massive that is is has been there for hundreds of years. That's that's our that's our core mission. We want to build the next Nike. Um, obviously not building shoes, but we want to build a great company that lasts for many, many years. And that's what we're working on. So that's the passion anyone shares. Come join us. We'd love to have you.
0: Nice. Listen, you've you've shared a lot about your story. You started by selling pens and pencils on the street to running a, a highly funded AI based business that does customer, centricity eccentricity, you moved around, you've been an employee, you've been an entrepreneur, you've grown and thrived through the pandemic and you've earned the trust of people willing to give you millions of dollars. And you've been a mentor to other entrepreneurs at an incubator, I understand. So for, for our entrepreneurs listening, if you can, if you can distill this down, what are the biggest learnings you've had that have contributed to your success?
1: Mm-hmm. I think think for me, it comes down to a few key learnings that I live by. The first one starts with believing in yourself. I have so much imposter syndrome. Believe it or not, every founder has imposter syndrome. Every person who's running a business has imposter syndrome. Can someone else be doing better? What am I doing with my life? Am I wasting other people's money? Am I wasting my time and my family's time? All these questions are just so detrimental to you. I think the best athletes the best entrepreneurs or the best even people in in the Marine Corps, they understand that mindset is everything and believing and it starts with believing in yourself and your ability. It's just starting there. I don't mean overconfidence, but being in tune with what you're good at, acknowledging it and doing it and just trying and 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 not not letting your thoughts stop you. I think that's a big learning for me. Um, the other one that I'm a big fan of and goes back to a story, you know, one of the times When when I was a little kid and I would walk back home, there used to be the Indian national flag because I grew up in India, and it would always be waving on days. And some days there would be no wind, so it would be it would be stopped. Um, And one of my coach would always tell me, in life you gotta be like the wind and not like the flag. So be the wind, not the flag, which means be proactive, take initiative, don't follow trends, but create your own path forward. Don't be like the flag that completely relies on the wind. On a windy day, it's, it's flowing and it's great. It's happy. And on a non-windy day, it's just stagnant. It's not moving. So that's that was the life lesson that I always take is sometimes there's situations that happen around you. COVID was a big situation for people and, and things happen that you just can't control, but control the things you can control. Be proactive in the situations take action. That's what I believe. And I think those two are my biggest lessons that I love to share with others too.
0: I think that's a great place to finish off. Be the win, not the flag. What a great lesson. Listen, thank you so much for your time and sharing your experience and your wisdom. And I love the fact that you're so aware and grateful for those in your life that have contributed to your success. While at the same time taking like full personal responsibility to continue with that success, it's a great combination of humility and confidence that I think is a great model for others. So, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us.
1: Yeah, thank and, you, Warren. Excited. And to where begin. can
0: people find you if they, if they want to find out more? Where do they find about about Involve or about Goraf?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn would be a great start. We are, my website is involved.ai, that's the company. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Goraf Bharacharya. Um, please feel free to connect with me. I love connecting with people. Happy to get any messages there.
0: Thanks so much. And good luck over the uh, over the use of this this uh, $16 million funding and becoming the generational brand that you dream of.
1: Thank you. It's only the start, Warren. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: My pleasure. Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful, values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoglin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's warrencoglin.com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Business That Matters Spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin.